We're going to continue with uh, our study of the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, open that up, turn on your Bible application. We'll be in chapter 4. And we're going to finish Colossians today. And so uh, if you're curious about what we'll do next Sunday, uh, I'm going to speak on listening prayer. What's it mean to listen to the Lord and be able to tune in in a way that you can discern things that he's communicating to you? So that'll be next Sunday. And then the following Sunday, we have Pastor Ben back. So we look forward to that. Look forward to hearing about uh, what sabbatical has meant to him and what God's been doing in his life. So today, uh, as we get into our study of Colossians we are trying to get our slide to advance. Uh, but we'll be closing out the book of Colossians by looking at um, chapter 4 and thinking about the subject of mission. So we've been talking all this time about what's true, what's false, because the Apostle Paul had written a letter to a little church in a little town called Colossae, basically to address heresy, to address um, falsehoods that people were propagating in the midst of this uh, young church. And today we'll be talking about what's the truth, hey, there we go, what's the truth about mission? And what's the false that sometimes is being held up or advocated regarding the mission of Jesus Christ? Now, um, so what is a mission? Let's think about it in the most basic and simple terms. A mission is a task or it's a calling of a person or a group of persons. So you can have an individual mission. We can have a collective mission as a church. Uh, and it is our committing ourselves to the accomplishment of a particular task. As some of you know, uh, football is getting underway. Training camps, uh, exhibition games, and so on. And theoretically, every NFL team is on a mission and that is to play on a certain Sunday in February uh, in a game called the Super Bowl. Now, the Super Bowl is experienced by a lot of people in different ways. Uh, some of us will be watching all the passing, the kicking, the running. Uh, others of us will be tuned in to see the most expensive commercials on television. Others of us will just have it in the background as we're socializing with friends and maybe have a board game going on or something like that. But for NFL players, they have a laser focus on winning a game that gives them the championship of the world. Now, when I say laser focus, if they don't have that focus, they can't accomplish their mission. If, let's say, a few players get the idea that getting to the Super Bowl is about my becoming famous or about my uh, being able to leverage a better contract, then guess what? They are not going to succeed in their mission. It takes everyone getting on the same page for the same purpose, and that's to win a particular game that brings about the championship, right? You get that. So years ago, transportation primarily happened with horse and buggy, a horse and wagon, right? And then along came some new technologies so that uh, railways were introduced and automobiles were introduced, and guess what? Uh, horse and buggy businesses were left in the dust. Now, 
part of the problem with the horse and buggy industry is that they misunderstood what their mission was. They thought they were in the horse and buggy business. Let's make the best buggies we can. But actually, if they'd understood, we're in the transportation business. We help people be able to go from point A to point B. If they'd understood that, then they would have been on the cutting edge of adapting to whatever new technologies came their way, and they would have totally flourished with the change in transportation mode. This is why it's so crucial to have mission clarity. So what is the mission of Jesus? I want you to ponder that for just a moment. Some of you have been involved in the church and you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. What is the mission of Jesus? So if we're not careful, we're going to think, well, it's about making people good. Or it's about establishing new churches, new congregations, seeing you know, growth that way. Or it's about knowing or protecting the doctrines, the beliefs of the Christian faith. We could go on and on. And friends, none of those are the mission. They're important things, but they are not the mission. Jesus articulated the mission in Luke's gospel, the 19th chapter, when he said, it is to seek and to save the lost. And so friends, if we don't keep mission clarity, we'll confuse what the mission is and we'll elevate some other things that are important, but they're not first in importance. And then it will cause us to miss the mission. So this gets into what was false and what was true in Paul's day regarding this church in Colossae. There were a group of Jesus followers who had been Jews before they became Christians. And they wanted to bring all the legalistic practices of Judaism into Christianity. And Paul's trying to clarify, no, you don't have to practice Judaism in order to be a Christian. So they wanted to advocate. You've got to keep the rituals. You've got to keep the holidays, the holy days. Uh, you've got to practice certain dietary uh, laws and things like that. And so Paul was trying to make it clear that we are not about doing certain things in order to be right with God or reconcile with God. We are about appropriating what has already been done what Jesus has already done for our salvation and for our reconciliation with a holy God. So, therefore, the mission is not to call others to perform certain religious practices. It's not about, okay, have we got everybody in a small group Bible study? Have we got everybody praying? Have we got everybody giving? Have we got everybody going and visiting? Those things are important, but they are not the mission. The mission is to call others to follow Jesus. So that gets us into today's text. We're going to pick it up in chapter 4 and verse 2. And here's where we're headed. Here's what we're going to talk about. What do we do? How do we do it? When do we do it? Who does it? All right? Will that kind of cover it? So let's get into the text, picking up in verse 2. And basically, every word or phrase is pretty important. So I hope you have it open before you, because as we talk about it, you're going to want to keep looking back and referring to it. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful 
in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open doors. Good. Oh, here it's back. May open doors for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That is such a power-packed passage. And we're going to unpack uh, those thoughts. So what do we do? Well, one of the things that we're about is we're uh, about walking through the doors that God opens for us to share the gospel. And these are primarily relational doors. And so to be clear, we cannot convict anybody of their need for Jesus. We cannot convert anybody to believe in Jesus. We cannot reconcile anyone to have a right relationship with God. All those things are the work of the Spirit. That's not our work. Our work is to walk through relational doors that God opens for us to build bridges to people who have yet to uh, connect their heart with the heart of God and to help them to see how to get from uh, the point of disconnect to connect. That's who we are and what we are about. Uh, Paul says we want to make it clear. Make what clear? The mystery clear. Now this is a phrase that Paul often uses to refer to the gospel because before Jesus' incarnation, uh, how God was going to redeem the world was a mystery. Uh, for centuries, God gave hints of how, how he would do it. The various holidays or holy days the various ritualistic practices, the prophetic utterances, uh, all these things gave hints about how he was going to redeem humanity. But until Jesus actually came into the world and did it, it was a mystery. Just, and even when he did come into the world and do it, it still remained a mystery. And so Paul was given to the work of helping people understand, comprehend the mystery. And that's our same task and so uh, when we are helping people understand, it's not about being good people. It's not about being good enough to satisfy a holy God. Uh, it's a love story about God pursuing us. About God pursuing us to the extent that he changed his residence out of heaven and incarnated himself and became one of us. He lived that perfect life that we could not live. He died a substitutionary death. He died the death I should have died, paying the penalty of my sin. So there's nothing that stands between me and God. That penalty's been paid for. And conquering death in the process so that death doesn't hold me back. Death doesn't keep me from God. Death is a defeated foe, as we were singing about just a moment ago. If you know those five points, you know the gospel. You understand the mystery. And you have the opportunity to walk through relational doors 
and share a piece of the story, if not the whole story, uh, for people's heart to be drawn by his spirit to him. So how do we do that? Paul makes it very clear, and he, he says it a couple of times, we have to do this prayerfully because it's primarily God's work. If God doesn't show up, if God doesn't do what God does, then the hope of the mission doesn't exist. But if we will walk through the uh, relational doors that he opens for us, make ourselves available to help with clarity on the mystery, then he will bring the power to see new life come to people that have been dis disconnected from him. So he says, do this prayerfully. Now, there's uh, so many stories that illustrate that. Let me just jump into the book of Acts and, and borrow a couple of those. The first is out of Acts chapter 10. And you'll remember the story of Peter and a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. Well, a Roman centurion is a citizen of Rome. He's grown up in the polytheistic way of uh, thinking about the world or the worldview. Uh, he's even considered Caesar, uh, something of a god or, or being divine. So the thought of a pagan Roman official coming to Christ as a follower and believer is like crazy, except for the fact, Acts 10 tells us God opened his heart. To such an extent, God spoke into his life and said, over here in such and such a city is a man by the name of Peter. Send some of your men over to Peter and have him come back to your home and he will unpack, he'll help you understand the mystery. Simultaneously, right? You know the story. God is dealing with Peter who typically would have nothing to do with pagans and Gentiles. But God has been opening his heart to whatever may come next from uh, Gentiles who end up knocking on his door, asking him to come back with them to their master's place, Cornelius. And the rest of the story is, out of all that opening that God was doing, Cornelius and his household came to faith. Now, Acts 16 has that crazy story about Paul and Silas getting arrested in the city of Philippi for preaching the gospel. And they are beaten badly. And we're told that while they are in prison, suffering from their wounds, they began to sing hymns unto the Lord and worship the Lord. And the jailer is like losing his mind. Who are these guys and what is it that they believe? How could they be beaten so badly and now they're worshiping this God that they follow? And not soon thereafter, an earthquake comes, literally opens the door of the jail cell so that um, Paul and Silas can escape. And when the Philippian jailer sees my prisoners can escape, well, the penalty for a prison, uh, a prison guard, if you lost your prisoners, you'd lose your life. So he takes his sword. He's about to fall on his sword because he knows these prisoners are going to escape. And Paul and Silas say, hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, don't do that. We're going to stay. <laughs> and that's all the jailer could take. He finally just said, what must I do to be saved? Talk about an open door. And Paul and Silas explained the mystery 
and the jailer came to faith. Uh, do you love these stories? I love these stories of how God uh, is at work to draw wayward hearts to himself. Now, we do so prayerfully because God delights in prayer. He gave us prayer as a gift. And so when we exercise it, just imagine, you know what delight is, things that you delight in? God's delight is in your praying. Proverbs 15, 8 says, the prayer of the upright is his delight. In fact, he is so eager to answer your prayers. Isaiah 65 tells us, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Do you understand that the creator of the universe has an ear inclined toward you? Ready to hear you speak to him. Ready for you to pray. A moment ago when I invited you to take a moment to pray, it was like heaven said, yes, they're praying. And again, when we look at the book of Acts, the early church were continually devoting themselves to prayer. We're going to be talking about prayer next Sunday. So how do we do this? We do so prayerfully and Paul says, we've got to have the wisdom of God. So what's it mean to have the wisdom of God? Friends, it means that you can begin to see things the way God sees things. You can discern circumstances the way that God understands those circumstances. Uh, you begin to get divine insight into the lives of people and into their circumstances. Insight that is beyond you. When you see it, you go, oh, I didn't know that. God just brought that insight to me. So uh, a few years ago, uh, the Lord had me developing a relationship with a guy. I'm going to call him Joe. If there's a Joe in here, I'm not talking about you. Uh, and so God opened a relational door for me with Joe. And uh, as we were getting to know one another and uh, kind of moving past superficial pleasantries, uh, on one occasion, Joe was sharing with me what a hit his financial portfolio was taking. And he didn't get into all the specifics and all the numbers, uh, but he had, uh, in recent weeks, lost a lot of money on paper. Stocks were doing really, really bad. And so he was, he was beside himself with that. And meanwhile, as he's trying to cope with and deal with this financial loss, uh, his wife, who had just barely been hanging on to the relationship anyway, left him. And so here we are week after week. We're in kind of a social thing, and sometimes we're just peeling off from the, the social thing, and just the two of us are talking about things, how hard life is. After a few months of this, one day he comes up to me and he is again beside himself. His adult daughter who lived in another city had experienced a date rape. And he was like, I don't, I don't even know how to help her. I don't, know, I don't know how to be there or give her space or you know, help her get counseling. Or, and so we talked. And it was at this point, and he knew I was a Christian because I talked about my faith a couple of times. And I said, hey, how about 
let me pray for your daughter. Okay, okay, yeah. And I said, how about right now? And he's like, like right here? Because we were in a public place. We'd had lunch and we, we were just walking out to our car. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, right here. And so without being real big and demonstrative, we just bowed our head next to his car. And I prayed for his daughter. I prayed for him to have divine wisdom about how to come alongside his daughter and be with her. Short of the story is that Joe began to understand that I really cared about him, his circumstances, his family. And so then he took a big risk. And uh, on one occasion, and by now he's learned that I'm a pastor. And he said, you know, I'm so curious about you, and I'm, I'm curious enough that I, I feel like I'd like to come hear you talk sometime. But um, I just feel like I, I never could. And I, I said, okay, well, why is that? And so he then disclosed to me about his adult son, who a couple of years prior had come out gay. And he said, I know that your church would be opposed to gay uh, lifestyle, gay values. Uh, I love my son. In fact, if I showed up here at your church, I would love to just stand up in the middle of your church and say, I love my son and my son is valuable to me. What do you think of that? And I said, well, Joe, I hope if you ever did that, everybody around you would go, that's terrific. We're so glad you love your son and that he means that much to you. That was curious to him, so he probed a little bit more. But you think the gay life is wrong, right? And I said, I, I do think that God in his wisdom, God in his love, has ordered human relationships to take place in a certain way where we flourish best. And I don't think the gay life is that. So in a phrase, yes, I would say it's wrong. Well, that's what I'm talking about. See, I could never come into your church. I could never come and hear you speak because you fundamentally think my son is broken. And right then, I'd never thought this thought before, but God brought it to my mind and it came out of my mouth. And I said, Joe, you don't understand. We think everybody's broken. I'm broken. Everybody in my church is broken. We're a bunch of broken people that come together with a hope that God will make us whole. And so if your son's broken, if you're broken, then you're, you'd be in the perfect place to come to our church because it's a gathering of broken people who have a hope of wholeness. So prayerfully, wisely, Paul says, let your speech to the outsider be gracious. In other words, full of kindness, full of love. It's full of sympathy and empathy. It's, it's full of understanding what's going on in the life of the other person. Um, and most of the time, a divine help to understand what's going on in the life of the other. And then he says, let, let your speech be seasoned with salt. What's it mean to have salty Speech, not like what we're talking about with sailors and all that kind of stuff, uh, but with a gospel kind of perspective. Friends, it means that your speech is not bland. It's not anemic. 
you will engage conversation where people fear to go. And so I'm talking with my friend Joe about homosexuality and about date rape and about confused worldviews. We are talking about hard-to-discuss subjects in an effort to understand one another because we have had a door open that we walked through called relationship. He knew I cared about him and that I wasn't just going to try to dump some kind of doctrinal junk on him. So Paul says, here's how you do it. You've got to pray. God's got to be in the picture. You're going to make clear the gospel as you walk through these relational doors because he's going to give you wisdom, help you discern the circumstance or what's going on in the person's life. What are the boundaries in their life? And to do so graciously, seasoned with salt. Don't be afraid of the hard subjects. Enter as the Spirit guides your steps. When do we do that? Well, to continue the thought of what Paul had just said, we want to do so wisely. So we want to do so as God guides, as God is opening those doors. But he used the word steadfastly. That is to suggest that that becomes our lifestyle. So we, we do it consistently. It's not like every Tuesday at 2, 2 p.m. I've got to get a, into a gospel conversation. So where, where will that take place? And with whom? Uh, it doesn't work like that. It's as I walk with the Lord in the flow of every day, His Spirit guides me to think about certain people or to engage certain people. It could be people that I don't know, like a barista at a coffee stand. It can be people that uh, I'm prompted to send a a text or an email and uh, ask for coffee. So uh, we do so with some kind of consistency. It's a part of the rhythm of our life. And we do so making the best use of time. Now, what does that mean? How many of you know building relationships is not efficient? It doesn't happen easily and quickly. And so when I talk about, you know, what was going on with me and Joe a few years ago, the way that we met was we were both involved in a charitable organization, and we had both volunteered for a charity project that involved not uh, a certain event, but there was a parking lot for the event, and we both had volunteered to park cars. And so we're out there in orange vest with flashlights, helping people know where to park and where to go get their tickets, all that kind of thing. And almost every occasion we were doing it, it was pouring down rain. And I can promise you, there were loud whispers in my head, what are you doing out here? You're busy, you got a lot of work to do, you've got a family, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff's going on in my head. Why am I out here getting drenched? And I'm out there walking through an opened door into Joe's life, understanding Joe's story, walking with him some in that story, and making more clear the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of what it means to know God and have a relationship with God. So making the best use of time, uh, let God define that because sometimes it looks like it's incredibly 
foolish, silly, a waste of time. But if you're in a place at a time that God has appointed, you're making the best use of that time. And then who does it? You already know the answer to that. It's everyone. So if we were to uh, use that football analogy again, there's nobody on the bench. Everybody's in the game. Everybody's on the field. Everybody has a part to play in the sowing and the watering and the harvesting of lives for relationship with Jesus. Every believer. What kind of believer? Mostly, overwhelmingly ordinary broken, less than brilliant (laughs) people like us. Let's finish the text, and uh, we'll do so in a summary foundation uh, formation, uh, verses 7 through following. Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, and Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Justice, and Epaphras, who's one of you, and Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, and greetings to Nympha, and the church in her house, and Archippus, and so he just goes through this random list as he's signing off the letter. And uh, as you think about these people, you might have a, a thought about who Epaphras is, because in our series... We've talked about Epaphras, who is from Colossae, probably a leader in that church. You've heard of Luke, who wrote a gospel. You've heard of Mark, who wrote a gospel. You probably don't know any of the rest of them. They're ordinary, not known, anonymous type people, men and women. Some of them faithful and some of them unfaithful. In other words, they live very inconsistent lives. So you know the story of Mark, perhaps, cousin of Barnabas. He had gone out on a missionary journey uh, earlier with Paul. And in the middle of the mission, he quit. He went home. And Paul did not like that at all. And so uh, when that trip concluded and Paul's getting ready for another mission trip, uh, Barnabas suggests, hey, let's, let's take Mark with us again. And Paul was like, are you nuts? Mark is not going. And you know the story. That's where Paul and uh, Barnabas parted ways. And Barnabas continued to invest in Mark and take him on journeys separate from Paul where God did deep things in Mark. Not only so that he was renewed and restored in his relationship with Jesus, but eventually reconciled to Paul. And Paul found him later very helpful for the purposes of the gospel. And of course, later he writes a gospel. But you see guys like Demas, who had been like a rising star in the Christian community at one point, then you'll read in uh, 2 Timothy about him again, and he's left the faith. Uh, Didn't just quit a, a, a mission trip, but he left the faith. And so the point is, friends, God invests in all of us so that we have the opportunity to know him with intimacy and be on mission with him to seek and to save 
the lost. Whether you're super capable or virtually incapable, whether you are brilliant or you're barely able to get out of high school or you know whatever your story is, you are usable to the kingdom of God, to his glory and to your joy in him. So uh, not long ago, I had uh, asked some of the small group leaders in our church to just kind of survey some of their friends and see what's been going on with you, through you, for the cause of the gospel. And they collected a handful of stories that I then shared later with the church anonymously. I didn't give any names. But for example, one of the things they found out is that uh, uh, somebody in their small group had a neighbor who's not a believer, very young couple, uh, a, a small child with some real medical needs, but the woman who's a member of our church happened to also be a, a nurse who had done a lot of work with children. And so she had earned the trust of her neighbor uh, being a resource when there were medical questions and things like that. So on one particular night, she's like, hey, you guys need to go have a date. Go have some time together. I'll take care of your, your child. And they trusted her to do that. And she ended up doing that several times, investing in that relationship, using her medical background that God had blessed her with. I uh, found out also that um, somebody that was very well connected in his industry, super busy, uh, virtually overextended all the time, but someone came through our church that wanted to be in that industry and was hoping to have somebody help. And this guy took time, began to get to know him, began to do a little life with him, and got him connected in that industry in a way that he found a meaningful career. Uh, we have a, a physician in our church who, as you can imagine, super busy, uh, but for seasons of life, felt like God was uh, leading him to be involved in our ESL ministry. And so after a long day of seeing patients, writing up uh, reports and things like that, uh, he'd come over and uh, volunteer with our ESL program. Uh, we had um, uh, some immigrants that we were trying to befriend and give care to, and they'd had some religious abuse take place in their home country. I won't get into all that story, but the short of it was our friend, our person who was befriending them, began to walk alongside, to hear their story, to minister to their hurt, and to see God's grace come into these wounds. Uh, another couple opened up their home to some people that were in transition, turned out to be for several weeks. Uh, somebody met with a discouraged friend over coffee, uh, providing meals to a family with multiple health issues. Uh, both the husband and the wife had health issues, and they weren't particularly old. They had teenagers in the house, uh, but they were, they were extensive health issues that literally were crippling them up. And so we just had different people constantly uh, providing meals, bringing in meals, and providing transportation to doctor visits, do all kinds of stuff with them, uh, helping a single mom. Some guys just come around and, and helped her move into a new apartment. Uh, and then there were several connections with people who had lost loved ones or, you know, grappling with grief, things like that. I could go on. The, lo the list continued. 
But th that was just a sampling in a particular week. Now, my point with all that is, if I had known any of you well enough to do a little survey and collect some information, I might have found out some very similar things. This is who we are. This is what we are about. Living prayerfully, wisely, uh, with gracious and salty speech, unpacking the mystery of the gospel as God opens doors. So, that leads to this moment. Because we live in a world full of distraction. There are things constantly calling for your attention. There are constantly uh, important things that are popping up urgently. And they can seem to be the most important thing at the time. In this moment... Will you renew your understanding and your commitment? Jesus has not only saved you for relationship with himself, but for eternal purposes. To join him in mission. To seek and to save the lost. Will you pray? Walk through open doors. Share the mystery this week. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, we don't take lightly that you're in the house, that you have been making your presence known to us in these moments. Continue to sensitize our hearts to what you've been holding up for us in this, this hour, the call to mission, the call to divine purpose. Even now, Lord, you have brought the mind, that you have brought the name or the face to someone's mind of a person you brought into their life for the sake of the gospel. So for that person that's on our mind right now, we pray. Will you continue to build the bridge in our relationship? Will you continue to give me, us, a heart? that cares, that's compassionate. And Lord, where we are fatigued and where we are tired, would you renew us? Refresh us with your power to be your people. We pray for those you've brought into our lives to be drawn to Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.